Hello, everyone from Embassy Church. This is Pastor Phil, and I would like to bring a word from the Embassy elders to all of our church members and attenders and anyone else that might find this helpful. The title of this message is called Train Yourself for Godliness. It's Embassy Church's training plan during the COVID-19 quarantine. And this passage of scripture that I have in mind for the overarching theme of this training plan for training ourselves for godliness comes from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Training is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way. So train yourself for godliness. That's the big overarching theme and why I would like to present to you 10 scripture passages and 10 bullet points for our church family as we consider the ongoing saga that is the coronavirus quarantine. I think that as we have been working through this, there have been many different thoughts and feelings and emotions. There have been some of you that are getting tired and anxious and worried. There are many of you that are eager to get together as a church again. And so we figured at this season, two months in, today is May 20th. It's Wednesday and here I am in my basement yet again recording another message for you all. And I'm hoping that this will be pastoral and practical and helpful. So instead of really diving into deep Bible study, we're going to just hit some quick flyover bullet points about uh, a game plan, a strategy for us. I feel like I'm putting on my coach's hat and whistle again as I record this podcast, at least with this language of training yourselves and getting a game plan together. So I'm hoping to uh, not just give a rah-rah speech per se, although maybe there will be a little bit of that in this. I'm hoping more so that there's this phrase that I've come across in regards to training from my experience in the athletic sports world. And, and that's instead of trying harder, train better or train smarter. This is one of those concepts I learned when I was playing in college basketball. I was told by my coach that it's not always the fastest and the strongest that win the game when we're playing basketball. It's those who train and play with excellence and how the smart can take from the strong. And in some ways, I think that that's one of the keys to the Christian life as well, is that instead of just trying really hard to become a godly person, a lot of times it's refocusing our efforts and trying to have more realistic long-term expectations. So as we think about this big metaphor, I've been doing a lot of uh, running outside to try and just get some exercise. I'm not able to play basketball on the gym floor right now anyway. So with the running, I I've been thinking all of us are probably at some uh, ability one way or another to, to go outside and, and run. Maybe for five seconds, uh, maybe for five minutes, maybe for, you know, five miles. And there's various stages that each of us would be at in our own kind of uh, athletic ability. And in the same way, all of us that are listening to this are going to be in different fitness levels of training for godliness. And so I want to make sure right from the start that you realize that 
there's going to be some of you that this will uh, be something that you're already doing well at some of these points and then others of you that you'll be challenged and you'll need to just start with the beginnings and the basics and so that's why I'm hoping to provide uh, just an, a, a brief overview of how to move forward from where we're at right now as a church family, as individual Christians, and as we think about what lies ahead. So let's dive in and let's start with the first scripture passage and our first point. Point one, follow the guidelines that have been given by your government officials. Point one, follow the guidelines that have been given by our government officials. Our scripture passage for this point is Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God and those that exist that have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur, incur judgment. Be subject to the governing authorities. It's very plain and clear in this passage that the Bible teaches that our perspective, our viewpoint, our posture toward our government officials is first and foremost to subject ourselves to them as they have been instituted by God because to resist their regulations would be to resist God himself. So right now, uh, regardless of whether we're in phase two or phase three, both of those for our church meetings will mean that we should not be in groups larger than 10 people. So both in your homes and as a corporate church family, the elders of embassy are strongly urging everyone to not meet in groups larger than 10 people, as we have been instructed by our government authorities. So we will not be holding church gatherings anytime in the near future, as far as we can tell. Based on the government regulations that have been handed about what it will take for us to get from phase two to three to four to five, it does not really seem hopeful that we're going to be having church services anytime soon. And since all of this is a dynamic thing, we're not going to put a date on it that we're going to start in June or July or August or September. All we're saying is that we should follow the guidelines given by our government officials and not rebel against them. Now, at this point, Someone might be thinking, but doesn't the Bible say we should obey God rather than men? And didn't the New Testament Christians at times rebel against the government when they told them to stop preaching the gospel? This is true. You can read the story in Acts chapters 4 and 5 and realize that the Bible does give uh, an example of Christians refusing to obey the government when they are telling them to not preach the gospel. But in this case, the government is not telling us not to preach the gospel. And furthermore, the government is not singling out churches. And even though the Bible commands us to meet together, it does not tell us that we should meet together at the expense of hurting one another. And so in this case, the idea is that the government is trying to use its authority, whether you agree with them or not, whether you have different vantage points or viewpoints, the government is trying to help us stay alive and help other people stay alive and so we want to submit to that good, common grace that is being given to us. And so that's point one. The church will not be holding gatherings until we are allowed to have more than 10 people in a meeting. And right now, that doesn't look like that's happening anytime soon. Point two, kind of as a follow-up from point one, what should then our conversation or our talk be about our government officials? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, here's their second point. Pray for your government officials so that we can live a peaceful 
and quiet life. 1 Timothy 2, 1-2 says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. The instruction here in 1 Timothy 2 is that we pray and intercede and thank God for all kinds of people, but especially this passage highlights kings or those in positions of authority. So that, here's the reason why we should be praying for them and why we should respect them and have a disposition of of prayer and blessing upon them, is so that we would live a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So let me just make this one comment. It's really easy right now to think that our understanding of the situation in the state and the country, we have a better perspective than our Illinois governor or our president of the United States. And it is so easy to complain or poke fun or have some sort of Monday morning quarterback perspective, if you know what I mean. But most of us really do not want to be in a position of having to make these decisions. When we're honest with ourselves, we do not envy being in a position where the lives of men and women all around the state and country are being held in our hands with some of the decisions that we may or may not make. And so I think it's important for us to remember that your first and hopefully regular impulse will be to include the kings and all who are in high positions as a part of your supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. Or to simply put, pray for your president, pray for your governor, pray for our mayors and all of our local officials. They need our prayers right now. We, they, need our, they need wisdom from God, and they need our support and not just more social media hating and conversations about how we can't trust them and conspiracy theories about how this is a power grab. Pray. Pray that they would be blessed with the wisdom from God that will lead to righteousness and justice and peace and that we can have a quiet and peaceable life. That's point number two. Point number three, since we have just talked about praying for government officials, let's talk about praying in general. And point three is that during this time of the coronavirus quarantine, we want to encourage all of you to set a time for reading the word, meditating on the word, and praying. Set aside a time is the key emphasis here. This is one of those comments about not just training harder, but training smarter. It will do you much better. uh, it, It will serve you better in the long run if you give yourselves to short segments of time in the word, time in meditation, and time in prayer, even if they're small. So this is, you know, the simple example in um, the running metaphor that I used earlier. If I'm starting right now off of the couch, never really run, and I can run for five minutes at best, five seconds. If I'm just at a very poor physical shape, I'm not going to go out and run a marathon. So some of you are not praying right now as you maybe could be praying because you have over overly ridiculous high expectations of yourself and you need to have small, sustainable, easily easy achievable goals. So I want to suggest a passage from Acts 2:42 in Acts chapter 3 verse 1. 
It says that the early believers in the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And I want you to notice that it doesn't just say that they devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to the prayers. Then if you flip over to the next chapter or page in the book of Acts. So this is Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, which was the ninth hour, that is 3 p.m. in the afternoon. It should be very clear from reading Acts 2.42 and Acts chapter 3, verse 1, that in the very early stages of the church, there was a set hour of prayer, at least at 3 p.m., but many have suggested that there was seven different prayer times that come from Psalm 119. And whether or not we're going to go with the seven or four or three prayer times that you see in the book of Daniel when he prays three times a day, the clear, consistent pattern, it seems, for faithful, committed disciples of Jesus and followers of God in both Old and New Testament is that they devote themselves to set aside time to pray that are fixed, fixed hours of prayer. There is a practice throughout the history of the church called the daily office, where you pray in the morning when you wake up, you pray at noon, right around your lunchtime, you pray at the evening as the sun goes down, and you pray before you go to bed. Lately, that's been my personal prayer habit that I've tried to implement during this quarantine. And I want to encourage each and every one of you listening to this to consider doing something like that. Setting aside one time during the day, a daily practice that you will pray, spend a little bit of time in the Word, a little bit of time of meditating. And if you're at zero right now, then it's not 30 minutes, or it's not setting aside four times during the day. It's if you're at zero, set aside one time at the best time that you think that you would be able to pray. And as you do so, if you're like, I don't know what to pray, let me give you a few examples of what you could do. So let's say right now, I don't pray regularly. If that's you listening to this and you just have a very on and off prayer life. There's no consistency. You could sometimes go days without praying and then maybe just random prayers throughout the day. All of that is typical and normal for a lot of people that don't have any kind of structure to their prayer life. And so if that's you, I want to suggest that you could give yourself to one time during the day, and let's say it's uh, right after you eat breakfast, or let's say it is right before you eat breakfast, right after you wake up. Let's suggest right after you finish lunch and you're at home, it's quarantine, and you finish up your lunch and you set aside five minutes. Pick one time just to start and pick a time of maybe one minute and pray the Lord's Prayer. Open up to Matthew chapter 6 and read the Lord's Prayer or memorize it and work on meditating and memorizing the Lord's Prayer and make that part of the habit of your prayer time. And this isn't because the Lord's Prayer is magical formula, and when we say these words, they have greater meaning or significance. It means that the Lord's Prayer is Jesus' way of teaching his disciples how they should pray. Think of it as like your training wheels, that you really aren't going to pray spontaneously or pray from your heart if you don't really have the categories and the training and the structure. It's like learning your ABCs. You can't read until you can first learn the basics. And the Lord's Prayer is the basic of basics for praying. So that's one suggestion, is pick a time once a day, commit yourself to that time, 
and pray through the Lord's Prayer. Even just reciting it is better than you doing nothing. And then as you do that every day, then maybe pick two times and then maybe pick a different prayer. A great book to recommend is also the Valley of Vision. It's a whole book full of Puritan prayers. Sometimes we may not be praying because we don't even know what to say or how to say it. And there is complete freedom that you can find from reading other people's prayers that are beautiful and rich and eloquent and make those prayers yours and switch out maybe the language sometimes and and put yourself into it or pray a prayer for your family or your friends and put their name in the prayer. So all of this is just basic, practical, helpful suggestions for how you could just set a time. And then if you have a real struggle with focus or attention, and your prayers just start to wander within 30 seconds, and you're you're really just not encouraged by that whole process, then I hope you would make a few of these suggestions uh, good for you. And so uh, I want to suggest that uh, if you're starting to get more advanced in your prayer time, then this is where we want to suggest praying through the directory and having either on the Adjace app that we have as a church family or the printed directory. And if you need a copy on a PDF or something like that, we can make that available so that you can be praying through the church directory and praying for one another. So point three, make a set time for reading the word, meditating, and praying, even if it's one minute, five minutes, 10 minutes. Uh, Wherever you're at, the encouragement is to let's train better and smarter in our prayer lives. Point four, set boundaries on the intake of news, screen time, and any escapist behaviors. One of the things that you need to be really mindful of is how to discipline ourselves with what could be easily uh, activities that will distract us and lead us into some, some ruts of some behaviors. Maybe you've already noticed those over the last two months. Reflect, do some evaluation, think right now. What do you do at seven, eight, nine o'clock at night? What sort of habits and rhythms are you getting into in terms of some of the different hours of the day? What do you check the first thing you wake up. Is it your phone and the news and your email? Is it some sort of social media? What you do before you go to bed and what you do when you wake up are some of the more formative things that we can do every day. And so set boundaries. Put put your phone and your, your laptop to bed. Treat it like a child. Put it to bed like in another room, somewhere else in your house, and use an old school alarm clock. Order one on Amazon if you don't have one. Go to the store and buy just an analogical clock that will help wake you up if you need an alarm clock. You know, these are simple strategies to put some sort of boundaries or limits on the news, screen time, and escapist behaviors. Our passage I want to read to you is 1 Corinthians 9.27. On this point, Paul says, I discipline my body to keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. In the literal language, he says, I pummel my body or I beat my body to make it my slave. Now, the translation I read for you first, disciplining my body to keep it under control, is is the point. It is the, the language, though, that you can tell that he uses metaphorically to show the severity of his point. So the point is, let's discipline ourselves and be in self-control. But hear that language again. I beat my body. I pummel it to make it a slave. Do not be a slave 
to Netflix binging and television news watching and social media and staying up late and eating sugar and alcohol at different points of the day or night. All of these things can be ways to escape the pains and the grief and the struggle instead of letting God do his work in our lives. And so it will be important for us to set boundaries on these things. If you don't already have some sort of system for Sabbath, I would suggest practicing Sabbath once a week where you abstain from both work that brings in income for you and technology for some segment of time, whether it's the whole morning, whether it's a whole afternoon, whether it is a morning and afternoon or an entire 24-hour period, however you figure that out. Practice Sabbath, where there is a restful silence and solitude and distraction-free zone, especially because of the work-life-home balance being disrupted because a lot of you right now are at home all day and work is at home and you can't go to an office or a building. You're, you're going to notice that there's blurred lines between when am I working and when am I home? So therefore, a one day a week shutdown of work and technology, I think is going to be really important, especially since we're at church encouraging you to meet in a technological way, meet on Zoom or meet on your phones and connect with people through these kind of mediums. It's really important, I think, for some of you to to take breaks and I know from talking to several church members that there are times where we're done our workday and we're just done. We're done being on the computer. We've been looking at a screen for six or seven hours, and then it's like, now it's time for a community group or a Bible study or a prayer night at church, and you're just having no energy or desire to do that. And I just want you to know, I get that. I think that one way that we can all hopefully get around managing these kind of pressures is to take Sabbath, to set boundaries, and set up some sort of rule or regulations for yourself that is going to help you not be enslaved. I think that it's really good for us to think about these tools. So your phone, your your laptop, your tablets, your television. Are you the slave and those devices are the master? Or are these tools and you're the master? And you're disciplining yourself to say, no, I'm in control. I am not giving in to digital addiction and being constantly checking this or that to make sure I'm keeping up with everything going on. Um, It does not mean you can't check the news. It's not what I'm saying. This is about setting helpful, wise boundaries. So say, for example, check the news in the morning and check the news at night and then don't check it ever again. That would be a, a simple boundary. Let's move on to number five. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. This comes from Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another toward love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We will not be meeting as a church family in the Wesley Center of the First United Methodist Church in Palatine anytime real soon, it doesn't look like until we can get over 10 people in a meeting space. But that does not mean that you can't meet together. The weather is warmer, and I would highly suggest sitting outside in each other's homes, 
in your driveways, on your porches, going for walks at parks, doing online dinners where you uh, use Zoom or FaceTime or Skype and you have dinner at your house like you normally would, but do dinner with someone else. We also have our online church meetings. And as I just mentioned, I know that some of you might get some Zoom fatigue. I don't know if that's language that people are using. I kind of just made that up off the spot. I think that Zoom fatigue is real and that people are tired of looking at screens. And so I want to suggest that there is grace for you to not do an online church meeting. But on the other hand, the reason that they are there is because some of you are going to need to feel connected and you're feeling lonely and you just need to hear somebody else's voice and hear how things are going in the church. And so I want to highly recommend that that's available, but probably better than just doing the online church meetings whenever they are is for us to meet together in person at each other's homes or at parks or places that are safe. And then obviously obey the government regulations, 10 people or less, wear masks, um, keep your social distancing, etc. So point five, do not give up meeting together. Even though we are in this time and we are quarantined in many ways, we are not completely shut down. Just for perspective, my brother, for most of the quarantine, has been living in a country in Southeast Asia and where he is at when his family members went outside of the house, there would be large police officers or soldiers with AK-47 guns and saying, what are you doing? Get out, of, uh, get back inside, or why are you outside? And and so I, I just hope you realize that even though some of us are tired of what's happening here in the United States or in the state of Illinois, uh, we, we could be much more locked down than what we're currently experiencing. So let's take advantage of the many freedoms to be able to go outside and go to parks and meet in each other's homes or at uh, in each other's driveways, etc. So let's move on to point six. Pursue peace and mutual upbuilding. In Romans 14, verse 19, the Apostle Paul writes, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. The context of those words in chapter 14 is about people that have different views on matters that aren't crystal clear as to this is right and this is wrong. So let's say, for example, some of you are feeling more lenient with the regulations and that you think this whole thing is just a big, you know, conspiracy theory and you're like, oh, whatever. And then some of you are like, this is life or death and people are dying. We need to take this very seriously. And uh, there are people in our church or in our community that need us to work hard at wearing masks and social distancing. And, And so realize that there might be divisions in regards to our perspective of how the coronavirus should be handled and whether or not somebody can come over. Uh, In my home right now, we are having a pretty challenging time talking about when our little girl Lucy is born, uh, what kind of visitors are we going to allow come to our house, even family members? And the pediatricians are telling us that people need to be quarantined for 14 days before they can even see the baby or hold the baby, that otherwise all they can do is look through a window or just share pictures and videos Here's my point. There's a lot of challenging decisions that each of us are going to face in regards to can we do this or should we do that? And I want each of us to pursue peace and mutual upbuilding. 
as Romans says in that chapter in uh, Romans 14 about people having different views, uh, Paul says each one should be convinced in their own mind what they should do, and then we should not hinder the other person who has a different opinion than us. We should not make them stumble. We should not pass judgment, and we should not allow these division, these issues to divide our church. So here's what I say. Each one of you be convinced in your own mind about what is the best approach for going out and visiting with one another. And do not pass judgment on your fellow brothers and sisters. We must pursue peace and upbuilding and not allow the devil to get a foothold and for this to divide our church. So pursue peace and show grace and mercy to your brothers and sisters and realize that we can have different opinions and agree to disagree and still love one another. Point seven, give generously as you have the opportunity. In Galatians chapter six, verses nine and 10, Paul tells the Galatian church, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. What helpful words for us as we are getting weary of the current circumstances. So let us, in our state of sometimes feeling quite weary, let's not grow weary in doing good and pursuing justice and helping those who are hurting and sick and poor. For in due season, we will reap a harvest. So don't give up, Paul says in Galatians 6, 9. And as you have opportunity, do good to everyone those in the church, but especially those who are in the household of faith, those in the church. So this would mean if you have the ability to continue to give to the church at embassy, if you're able to, whether you need to mail in a check to our PO box, or you need to give online, we would encourage you to please consider how you can support the work of embassy church and continue to do good in that way. Furthermore, there is the opportunity to do good to especially those in the household of faith that are struggling financially by giving to the Benevolence Fund. If you're able to give to our church and then give beyond your normal means because God's allowing you to still have a job and maybe some of your expenses are cut down because you're not driving around, this or that, whatever it might be, we want to really encourage you to consider the Benevolence Fund as something that you might give to every once in a while during the coronavirus Finally, we want to also re remind everyone that we are in a joy drop campaign where we're encouraging people in our church in combination with the Thrive Vineyard Church in Palatine. We're working together as two churches to serve a lower income community called Rand Grove. Our church has been doing food delivery for two years in this community, and we are having those efforts ramped up with the combination of Thrive's help. So we have been sending out emails. This is a great time for us to give generously as we have opportunity. Some of you may not have that opportunity. Some of you may lose your jobs. Some of you might have tight budgets because of all that's going on, and that's understandable. But there is a sense of blessing that God has given us, and he has taking care of many of us as I call around and ask, hey, how's work going? And we, we don't have 30, 40% of our church unemployed. And so we want to praise God for that. God has given us an opportunity where there are many people who do not have that same situation. Please think for a minute right now how the coronavirus and the shutdown uh, is 
affecting those that are in lower income jobs. Middle to upper class families are oftentimes going to be in jobs where they can work from home, but those that are in the service industry, that are typically your lower class kind of jobs, those families are going to especially struggle because those are the places that are going to be shut down. Let's think waiters and waitresses and people working at different shops that are going to be closed down. So I, I do think that this is a great time for us to not hoard all of the food and toilet paper in our homes and say, well, I'm doing well, but instead to give generously. And so in addition to giving generously as you have the opportunity, point eight, fast on Fridays. I'm just throwing that out because that's what our family's been doing ever since we started talking about fasting. I want to encourage you to think about fasting on Fridays and skipping either one meal like a lunch or skipping breakfast and lunch where from your last meal on Thursday night, you eat dinner Thursday night and then you don't eat again till Friday dinner. And that is the typical fast throughout both uh, Old and New Testament, as far as I understand it, is that kind of fasting from sundown to sundown, from one day to another. So I want to just read a passage from Luke 5.35. It's a conversation about why Jesus and his disciples are not fasting. And his response to them is that because he is with them, he is the groom, he is God's um, representative on earth as the triune member of the Godhead. He is the bridegroom of this relationship, of this covenant between uh, God and humanity and God and the people of Israel. And anyway, all that language of bridegroom means that there's this metaphor of the bride and groom coming together and the groom is here, so it's time to celebrate. And so that's Jesus' response as to why they're not fasting. Why would they fast? It's not a, a sad, somber time. It's a joyous time. The groom is here and he's with his bride. And then he says this one line in Luke 5.35, But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away, and then in those days they will fast. We are in those days. Jesus is not here right now. You should know that Jesus has ascended. Tomorrow, May 21st, is Ascension Day. Jesus Christ is not on the earth. He is resurrected. He is alive. He has conquered death and been risen victoriously over death. And we know that he will come again. But in the meantime, the time between the times of him coming to the earth and then leaving the earth, and then now as we wait for his final return, that is the time that we will fast. In those days, his disciples will fast, Jesus says. It's not an explicit command. It's just an expectation. It's that we will fast as an appropriate way to respond to the longing in our hearts that the world is still not set right and it's broken. And so in that way, I think we could look around and see the brokenness of our world. The coronavirus is certainly an occasion for us to respond with prayer and fasting. And so we've been talking about that over the course of the last several weeks. And I want to remind you again, fast on Fridays. If you don't have a day, pick a day. But I suggest if you don't have any idea, then pick Friday. Fast with the Howell family. We've been doing Fasting Friday for the last three, four weeks and skipping lunch for the kids or skipping breakfast and lunch for myself and spending that time instead of making lunch and eating as a family. We've been packing our lunches for the Rand Grove family, making little notes, sharing the gospel in letters, and then praying. 
and spending that time devoted toward uh, the Rand Grove outreach. So that's point number eight, fast on Fridays. Point nine, receive the goodness of God's creation. 1 Timothy 4.4 says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. I think it's great that I'm reading this right after talking about fasting, right? Everything that God created is good. So, receive it with thanksgiving and don't reject it. It means that you're free to eat food and you're also free to abstain from food and stop eating it for a season to practice fasting. But you should never hear a pastor or a Christian tell you, you can't eat this food or that. Or in the context of First Timothy 4, it's people that taught if you're super spiritual and super holy, you uh, won't eat certain foods and you won't get married. And so the response in this letter is, no, God made both marriage and food good. So his creation is good and it should be accepted and received with thanksgiving. This is an extremely important point, I think, as a broader principle that we need to receive the goodness of God's creation in this time. So here's just some very practical tips for you to receive the goodness of God's creation with thanksgiving. First, go outside regularly. Enjoy the goodness of the material created world. Get some exercise. Go for walks. Start taking up running, even if it's for five seconds or five minutes. Do something physical like gardening or woodworking or cooking or reading a book in a hammock or take an art class online and learn the beauty of art. Start taking up chess, etc. Do something about the goodness of God's world that you can start to appreciate in new ways because you have some concentrated time that you could use in your evenings or your weekends that you wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. There are going to be special opportunities for some of you as school winds down and you can spend time as a family together and you're not going to be running around to summer camps and this and that. And I know for some of us, life is crazy, but I know for many of you that I've talked to, there is a slowing down that's happened. There is more concentrated time in the home. So as a family or even as an individual, what are you doing to receive the goodness of God's creation? Might there be some rhythm that you do for daily walks or weekly exercise or taking up a project that will help you just appreciate more of God's world? You know, I'm right now working on learning the language of German. So somebody join me and and let's start practicing German together. Uh, I have to do so for some of my schoolwork. and, And the point, though, is this is a great time to just spend some extra time doing flashcards and translating uh, sentences in German. And so I'm hoping that many of you will receive this encouragement and find some new hobbies or new ways to be thankful for the world God made and the, the riches of it, the, the vast diversity of things that God gives us in this world. And then 10th and finally, the last thing is put your hope in God. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ has come. 
He has entered into this broken world and he did not run away from it. He embraced it. He grew up as an infant baby and lived in poverty. And he knew what it was like for us to walk in this world and experience every temptation and every struggle and every way that you and I are walking on this earth. He too experienced those things. He passed the test where you and I failed and he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, an unjust death that he did not deserve. And he did it so he could take away our sins, not just our own personal individual sins, but the sins of the whole world, the cosmic rebellion against God, the brokenness of the whole cosmos of creation, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would have hope today. And so, the most important of all of these things, and in fact, one through nine is undergirded by this last and most foundational point. We can follow the guidelines of our government officials knowing that Christ himself is king and he rules and reigns over all. So follow the guidelines of your government knowing that one day he will put everything in its proper place and that he reigns on his throne right now as ruler of the heavens and the earth. You can pray for your government officials and live in a peaceful, quiet life and ask for God to bless them richly because you're confident that our citizenship is not primarily here in the United States or the state of Illinois. It is in heaven because of the work of the gospel and the hope we have in him. We can set aside time to read the word and meditate and pray, because even though it feels like we're constantly living in this rat race of being in a hurry every day, God, in fact, stands outside of time, and we should connect with him in this transcendent, crazy sort of way where we can dwell with and commune with God by stopping, pausing right here, wherever we're at, whatever home or place that you find yourself as you're listening to this, you can pause, take a deep breath and experience the goodness of God's presence right here, right now, anywhere because of God's gift of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to go to some temple to pray. We don't have to go to some sort of pilgrimage and find our way to Jerusalem where Jesus once walked or lived. We don't need to find some relic or some icon to bow down to. Right here where you're at, you can find yourself in an embodied spirit of worship because of the gift of the Holy Spirit that was offered to us through the gospel. You can set boundaries on the intake of news and screen time and escapist behaviors because Jesus Christ has come to set us free for freedom. Christ has set us free so that we are no longer slaves to our passions of the sinful, disordered flesh, but we're set free to be able to live new lives, to use the instruments of our human body, not for unrighteous purposes, but for righteous and godly and good purposes. And so let's set boundaries and set limits and discipline ourselves so that we would live more like what we were created to. And that is possible and empowered through the good news and the hope of the gospel. We can meet together and we can love one another and we can preserve pursue peace and mutual upbuilding and give generously as we have opportunity because God has in fact changed and transformed our hearts and our loves and the gospel makes all of this possible. We can fast on Fridays because we have Christ. We do not live by bread alone, but we have the very words and the message of Christ that sustain and give us life that's more meaningful than just the temporal, the temporary day-to-day food and water. Life does not consist just of the abundance of our riches or our possessions or food or clothing. Everybody needs those. God knows we need them. 
But he gives us so much more than just the everyday necessities. He gives us himself and so fast so you can teach yourself and remind yourself that the greatest longings in this life are satisfied when we know Jesus Christ personally and we can know him personally because of the gospel and we can receive the goodness of God's creation as a gift, as a blessing, because ultimately God is a giver and he is a giver of good gifts especially the gift of salvation. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, believing in the power of the gospel so that through the Holy Spirit we will abound in hope. Friends, brothers, sisters, Embassy Church family, I'm praying right now that God would fill us with this hope and that we would be compelled and we would be propelled to do these 10 things regularly, And that we would come back to this list and that we would refine it day after day and month after month for as long as this coronavirus goes on. May it be our training plan, our rule of life, the way that we regulate and set up our system of what we're going to do for the next several days, weeks, and months. Let's pray now. Our Father in heaven, I come to you in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I ask that you would pour out your blessing and your favor upon our church family, and that these 10 things will not be spoken in vain, but that they would bear amazing fruit in the lives of those who are hearing them. May they receive this as the good news of the gospel, that Christ has come to give us new life and new hope for how to live in a challenging time. And I pray that you will comfort those who are feeling afflicted, I pray that you would bring a sense of urgency to those who are feeling lazy and idle. I pray, Father, for those that are feeling sick and contract the coronavirus, that you would bring healing and that you would bring hope beyond the grave to remind them that even if death knocks on the door, there is resurrection. Lord, we want to pray that all the truths of the Christian faith and the Bible will come to life in new ways. Do that, we pray, for the glory of your great name, so that you would be praised, so that we would realize our place in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.